You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at just a couple of verses by way of introduction tonight, uh, and uh, that is the beginning of marriage and uh, how God has instituted it, as well as other human relationships that spring from that. But uh, let's look, if you will, at Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 uh, through 25, and as you're turning there, just a couple things to note so I don't forget at the end. Uh, if you pray for a couple of folks who are grieving losses in our church family, Brother Ethan Klein, uh, some of you got a text this week, his brother unexpectedly passed away um, on uh, Wednesday morning. They got word of that, and uh, not I think he's in <laughs> his mid to late 30s. So if you pray for that, as uh, Ethan and his wife and their family will be traveling uh, for that, uh, the service will be on this coming Thursday. And if you'd also pray for a couple of our men who lost grandfathers this weekend, Brother Nick Hinkle, his grandfather would have, grandfather would have passed away uh, on Saturday. And then within about an hour of that as well, Pastor Nathan uh, lost his grandfather. Uh, we've been praying for him for some years with uh, health challenges and things. So if you pray for all three of those families, uh, God's grace and strength to them and what they're navigating. And if you don't know them personally, if you would just lift up uh, those families in prayer, uh, I know that they would appreciate that. All right, Genesis chapter 2, you may remain seated, but let's look at verse 23. Uh, we're right in the middle of God giving to Adam the woman, his wife, and uh, kind of these uh, key verses as we launch into and resume our study tonight. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and they were not ashamed." So we're looking at uh, the vow, how to have uh, marital commitments. Obviously, as I've tried to do, for some of you, you're not currently in that relationship or that season has passed or yet to come for you uh, actively, at least in this part of your life. This does apply to other relationships, each of these principles. But tonight we're looking at this commitment. We will work together to build a sturdy bond of trust, the key word being trust. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy it is to be here tonight. Thank you for um, just who you are. And uh, thank you that your love for us can never be more. Um, Lord, but our, our love to you needs to increase. It needs to be more consistent and less fickle. And uh, help us in that even this week. I pray as we consider how we manifest that love to you and the relationships you've given to us, help us, help us to see how we treat our brother and our sister in Christ, Lord, how that uh, directly uh, impacts and reflects our relationship with you, and uh, we need your help in that, and I pray that you bless tonight as we look at this key word of trust. Uh, help it to be more in the days ahead in our marriages and our other relationships that are represented tonight. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name, amen. As you think about trust tonight, isn't it funny how in the marriage setting or in family setting, how often we betray each other's trust? Um, one of the areas I was thinking of, um, I don't know if you like your snacks, like I like my snacks, you know, uh, from about, what, when do we eat dinner? Six o'clock, about 6.15, I start thinking about snacks, you know, after dinner is done. It's funny to me how my favorite snacks are often the favorites of my family. And uh, how sometimes you, you, you kind of cut a corner, you hide something, or you know where they hide that something. And uh, the other day, I don't know, maybe I've shared this before, but uh, somebody shared this, they, they were confessing. They said, I just helped my husband look for his candy bar that I ate three days ago. <laughs> I don't, that just cracks me up. Like, isn't that so true? Or, you know, you pretend you didn't know that the thing was totally empty. You just left one little crumb so you could put it back on the shelf so it looks, hey, it's still there on the shelf. I didn't touch it. You know, it just the things that we do that uh, undermine trust in the relationships that we have. Uh, key statement tonight, you may want to jot this down. Trust does not just happen. Distrust is what just happens. So by default, relationships break down. They don't move toward, hey, we're more trusting to each other. Like it just pops out of thin air. Actually, in our relationships, they are prone to and very prone to uh, move in the exact opposite direction. 
And so one of the essential foundation stones of every marriage and any other relationship you're involved in uh, is the word trust. No trust, no marriage. Uh, Long-term, trust and marriage have to be uh, in harmony with one another. And so they both run or track together. And obviously, without trust, we cannot have the marriage or any other relationship the way God designed it. And we're talking specifically in marriage. He designed the marriage to be a trusting, meaningful, intimate relationship as we just read in Genesis chapter 2. And we cannot have that without intimacy and vulnerability and mutual cooperation, all of which need trust. All right, this brief definition of trust, I thought this was a good definition as I've read broadly on this subject for our study tonight. One author said this, trust is being so convinced that you can rely on the integrity, strength, character, and faithfulness of another that you are willing to place yourself in his or her care. Do you have someone like that? Um, It ought to be one of the primary people. If God has blessed you with a spouse, it should be that person. Do you trust one another? So the question tonight is this, in a day where marriages tend to trend toward a distrustful distance, how do we partner with our spouse and God to build and maintain trust? Let's talk about two commitments tonight that I think will help us in this direction. Number one, first of all, we need trust that is under construction. It's something that we must be building. Go, if you will, now to Genesis 25, and in the balance of our time, we're going to look at and learn from the marriage between Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, and they will be an example of what not to do, unfortunately. Uh, And at times, that's yours truly as well. That's my marriage. At least I won't speak for my wife, but for me, I'm often the example of what not to do. Uh, And so we're going to look at this marriage, chapters 25, just a few select verses, chapter 26, as well as chapter 27, and the dysfunction that plagued this family, that all of it came back to a lack of committing to this commitment we're talking about tonight, we will work to build a sturdy bond of trust. So a trust that is under construction. And while we're on the food front, I saw this yesterday. A friend of mine went to a football game. These are loaded fries. And uh, you can't even see the fries. There's like shrimp, steak, like all kinds of things on it, bacon, all kinds of stuff, cheese. There's some, you know, some sort of sauce on it. Um, and it, like loaded fries. Um, does, that, does that look healthy to you? Done to me. It looks fun. It looks really fun. I wouldn't mind taking a run at a little bit of that, at least one corner of it. Um, but uh, it's funny to me how it was just loaded was, I guess, what resonated with me. Um, do our marriages, do they get easier and breezier and lighter as life goes on? Or does the load get heavier? I would submit to you, I look out at you, you know, we all, yeah, we had things early on in our marriages we had to navigate, but it tends to get heavier, and so the foundation has to be built even stronger. And I think one of the things I see in all of our relationships, and especially our marriages, is we just assume trust is going to happen, that, that the load and the weight of our relationship, that our relationship navigates, will just by default be okay, instead of working to build, constantly building into our marriage uh, this uh, priority of trust. All right, let's talk about a few areas as modeled in the life of Isaac and Rebekah. Go back to 25 of, Isaac, of Genesis, and look, if you will, at verse 27. So God gives to these two that he's brought together, and we don't have time to review their whole story, but remember, um, you, you have God, sent, Abraham sends away his servant, uh, Eliezer, he goes, and being in the way, God leads him, and he finds uh, a wife miraculously for Isaac. He brings her back uh, from their tribe and their kindred, and And uh, they are married. And now, after some hiccups and challenges they face, notice now in verse 27, and the boys grew. So these would be their two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field, and Jacob a plain man dwelling in tents. Notice now verse 28, and here's where we see things begin to break down. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, let me give you a few things, uh, seasons, if you will, of life that we have to persist in building trust. Number one, there in your notes, build trust when experiencing growth, when the home is growing. And we understand tonight that having children does not make a home. if, If you have a spouse, you are a home, you are a family, but a child does what? It expands the family. And so whether it's expanding because of a child or some other opportunity that God gives to your home and to a relationship he's entrusted to your care, 
we must be careful to build trust while experiencing growth. And as the boys began to grow up, Esau became an outdoorsman. We see that. He was, he was of that, uh, that orientation or that passion. He was a skillful hunter, and uh, Jacob enjoyed uh, the meat that he would uh, bring uh, down and would bring in. And, and then you see, obviously, the mild indoor type, Jacob. And so Isaac loved Esau best, and Rebekah loved Jacob more. He would maybe be what we call today the mama's boy of the family. Um, and you see that, don't focus on uh, Jacob and Esau and their division, see how the parents are beginning to pull away instead of pulling together during this season of growth. Key statement tonight as it relates to our relationship, and I think many of us, this applies in different ways. If we're not careful, our favor from God, so these boys were fit God's favor, God's blessing a relationship, blessing a marriage in some day, and what happens is we start specializing instead of sharing what God has given us to do and be together. Um, Heidi and I, the thing we talk about often, I don't know if we can avoid all of it, her and I just riding in the same car together is like an anomaly, like all the stars of a line. We just, I'm doing this and she's doing that, and, and I'm not saying there are seasons where that's just the way it is. But I think the tendency is as God expands a home and a marriage, as we begin, well, that's your area and that's my area, that's your kid, that's my kid, that's your project, that's my project, and we're not sharing uh, together what God has given us. And because of that, and we see that here in the text, Jacob's at home with uh, mom and Esau and his daddy are out doing their thing. And so be very careful to still share and build trust when God is growing and expanding. And some of you now are empty nesters or you're at another season and God's giving you new ministry or things and responsibilities. Be very careful to not make it just your thing or just uh, their thing. Do it together. Uh, build trust when experiencing growth. And so marriage is, is in reality, I think, God's most comprehensive form of shared life. It's the most intimate of relationships. And God's goal for that marriage will never be achieved uh, until we are building and maintaining uh, trust. What does he want? We just read it in Genesis 2. He wants us to be one flesh. Uh, and to be one flesh requires us to keep growing uh, together. Here would be the question tonight, where has your trust been eroded, not by outright deception, but by simply growing apart with your spouse? How can you lean more toward each other in all the ways that God is growing you both? If God's growing you or giving you something new or greater to do, that, that's not to leave your spouse in the dust, that's to include them in that season or that change of life. Build uh, into your marriage trust when experiencing growth. All right, then go to chapter 26. We'll come back to 25 in a little bit if we have time. Look at verse 6 of Genesis 26. And this would be kind of the opposite side of the coin uh, in seasons of marriage. Uh, if you go back to verse 1, it says, And there was a famine in the land. So this is now a difficult season for uh, Rebekah and Isaac and their family. God gives them some promises in verses, and instructions in verses 2 to 5. Notice now verse 6. And Isaiah dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, She is my wife, lest he, the men of, lest said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah because she was fair or beautiful to look upon. It came to pass when there had been a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaiah, uh, Isaac was sporting with uh, Rebekah, his wife. Number two, jot this down. Build trust not only when experiencing growth, build trust when under pressure. Build trust in your marriage when under pressure. Um, I, I saw the other day a little, I don't, I I think this is a true story of a couple who went to a marriage counselor. That's what we, if we really get desperate, you go see a counselor, right? Really, especially us guys, if you get really desperate, you go there under pressure. But uh, the counselor said to this couple, he said, so what brings you here today? And those two words, what brings you? Don't forget those two words. What brings you here today? The wife responds, he takes everything literally. I can't stand it. And then the counselor just looked at the man, you know, again, the same question, what brings you here? And the man replied, my truck, my, my truck, that's what brought me here. Um, isn't it crazy how literal we can be sometimes at the expense of truth? Um, and especially when we're under pressure, uh, we tend to abandon some of the disciplines that we otherwise would be building. 
The pressures of life will either press us closer together or they will drive us apart. And the choice is ours, and the, the choice is, am I going to trust you? Are you going to trust me or not? Am I going to be trustworthy? All right, so just a little backstory on these verses in verses 6 to 8. So they're, they're reacting to the famine, they're responding to it. And we see Isaac doing the same thing that his daddy Abraham had done, right? I mean, the story is almost literally just a, a carbon copy. So that speaks to our influence. Um, one thing I was thinking in relation to that is, well, my, well, my boys, well, their wives, um, they would hate if I'm bringing this up tonight if they were in the room, but will my, my daughter-in-law someday, will they be glad for what their husband saw modeled by their dad, specifically in this area? Um, will they trust one another more because of the relationship Heidi and I have or less? Um, and I think that's a, a convicting thought as we see Isaac kind of, again, being a little dishonest or just bluntly put, being dishonest here as uh, his father had done prior. And so you see him misrepresenting his wife and claiming that she's uh, his sister, just as Abraham had done out of um, self-preservation. We see this repetition. But I think there's more going on here. The word sporting that's found here is the idea of caressing or uh, a marital expression of love or affection. It was very clear to those watching that um, these two were not brother and sister. There was something more uh, to this relationship. And I think what it is indicating is Isaac. There's a play on words. The name Isaac, if you had time to do a word study on this, the name Isaac and the word for sporting that's found here are parallel words. They're, they're somewhat similar in their construction where Isaac is being flippant with his marriage. Like, think about what he's doing here. He's claiming this is just his sister and, and not caring about what that means. And God had just said in the previous verses, I'm going to make your seed as the stars of the heaven. And he's treating lightly these marital vows. He's, he's playing with how it's perceived and looking out for his own interest in the situation. He is treating God's promises and his commitment in marriage very lightly uh, in this situation. And Isaac clearly should have taken the vows and the covenant promises connected to those vows in that relationship much more seriously than we see him doing in verses 6 to 8. All right, notice then what Abimelech does in verse 9. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold of a surety, she is thy wife. How saidst thou, she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I should die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this that thou hast done unto us? One of the people might have lightly have lied or... Uh, been immoral with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall be surely put to death. Abimelech, a pagan, prioritized this marriage more than Isaac did. Don't you think that played into all that they had to navigate? This whole story, do you think that built trust between these two, or did it undermine it? Uh, we need to be very careful when we're under pressure, when the famine comes and the temptation to take the easy way out. Are we still building trust when we are under pressure? When we're under the grind and pressure of life, we tend to forget how important our marriage is and its foundation of trust that truly are important in the sight of God. It is important to build trust when we're under pressure. In fact, what if this marriage had crumpled those who are reading Genesis later, the whole of Israel's society depended on this marriage being intact and God being able to work through it. And so your marriage matters and the trust between you matters. Uh, don't allow the pressure to convince you otherwise. Now, I will say this and we'll move on. When I'm under pressure, I only do what's important. Um, I don't do fickle things at that point. I don't do superficial things. When I'm under pressure, I have to prioritize. I always do. Pressure forces you to do that. And here's my question to you. Is trust important enough to you that you're building it when you're really stressed and when you're really pressured and life isn't easy and there's the diagnosis or the family dynamic or whatever's going on? Is trust still a priority uh, during those stressful times? And how can you and I be more honest about where the construction has waned or stopped in this important priority of building and maintaining trust. All right, I want to give you a few questions, and you won't be able to write these all down, but maybe just jot down the one that jumps out at you that this to me is a trust kind of, it checks us. Where are we at in the trust uh, between us and those in our lives, specifically our spouses? Here would be a few questions. Just maybe if one jumps out, jot it down and 
Uh, discuss it there with your spouse in the days ahead. Number one, is there more unity, understanding, and love in your marriage now than there has ever been? Like, how are you trending? Um, is there more of those things, unity, understanding, and love in your marriage than there has ever been? Number two, do you both do what you promise in the time that you have promised it? Um, we guys are renowned, are we not, for making excuses? Well, you know, I know I told you, but, or we don't even make an excuse. We just act like or hope that, that they'll forget that we had committed. Do you both do what you promised in the time that you had promised? Um, thirdly, I thought this was a good one. Are you attentive to what your spouse sees as being important? Like, you know it's important to them. You, you maybe even could care less about it, but it's important to them. Are you willing to see it as, a, as important and give your attention to it? Um, next, do you listen well to your spouse and act on what you have heard? Do you listen well to your spouse and act on what you have heard? Next, do you follow through with mutually agreed plans? Um, I think one of the things I see often that undercuts trust more than anything is, hey, I thought we had agreed to this. And then you took a flyer financially or you changed something with the kids or you, you shifted this uh, in some area and, and didn't really uh, even coordinate with me on that. Are you agreeing to something and then are you following through on that? Is that a consistent thing? That's building or tearing down trust. Um, do you work together on planning and scheduling priorities, or do you demand that the other one do it your way? Hey, honey, I got these three things this weekend, but what do you got going? Um, is there that mutual deference between you? That's something we need to work on, I'm sure, if you're like me. Um, I thought this was a good one. Do you share with your spouse your thoughts, desires, hopes, dreams, and concerns? Or is it easier for you to be quiet or to share them with someone else? Like, are you talking on that level? Um, this, this may sound cheesy to you, but I will often say to Heidi, I, th I think I did this vacation. I usually do when we go away in the summer. What do you want to do in the next year? Like, what's, what's a dream of yours? Um, and I try as best I can to make it happen. Other than skydiving, I'm open to most other options she's given me And when I ask that question. But, and then what are you worried about? What's, like, is that the level of conversation, or is it too superficial? Um, to have trust means you have to know. You have to be able to empathize and understand and uh, be there with one another through the things that they're working through. Um, a couple more. I have a lengthier list, but just a couple other ones that I highlighted. Do you carry wrongs around with you, or do you trust a, another, one another enough to confront and confess? Um, the longer you hold on to that, the more detrimental that's going to be to your marriage. Do you trust each other enough to either be the confessor or to be the one to uh, confront? Is that something you do on a regular basis? Um, is your intimate relationship mutually satisfying? Obviously, physical relations. Where is that? Is there uh, clear communication on that? Uh, and then just the last couple, do you fear that you're often being manipulated or taken advantage of? Is that a worry that you have toward your spouse? Do you ever wonder if your spouse cares for him or herself more than you? Is that a thought you have regularly? Uh, and if so, something obviously needs to be addressed in that relationship. All right, this statement, we'll move to our second point tonight. I read this recently. Building trust is a process. Trust results from consistent, predictable interaction over time. So it's not anything flashy. It's just a process. Trust results from consistent and predictable interaction over time. And Rebecca and Isaac were not doing that. Uh, and so we see all of the whirlwind they were about to reap because of that. All right, now let's spend the balance of our time in trust that needs to be protected. So it's being built. Number two, it is being protected. Um, and we're going to be in 27 of Genesis in just a moment. <clears throat> I was reading the other day of a renowned Christian archaeologist named Nelson Gluick, who said, quote, no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. Isn't that amazing to think about? Archaeology only affirms what the Bible has to say. This is why the majority of scholars and historians, both atheists and Christian, conclude that the New Testament, and specifically the Gospels, are the most reliable and credible documents from the ancient past. You can't, you can't find archaeological evidence to the contrary. And yet, if you notice, as we dig up the past of Isaac and Rebekah, we see that while God is trustworthy, God's people often struggled to trust Him, right? Isn't that our human condition? Like, I, you, amen, pastor, we need to trust each other and trust God. And then this week, I don't know, God, if it's going to work out. I don't know if I trust you, uh, guy or gal, that I am married to. And so we need God's help uh, to work through not just building trust, but protecting ourselves 
from letting trust slip away. Um, Basically, if I could summarize chapter 27 that we're going to just touch on for a moment, the sad story of Rebecca deceiving her husband and enlisting her son to do so, when all trust is gone, is basically an entire family attempting to carry out their responsibilities by only their physical senses without faith. You could put that heading on the top of Genesis 27, a family trying to walk by sight instead of by faith. And often I think it is the lack of trust in God and allowing Him to help us protect that trust that leads us in a wrong direction. All right, let's talk about the specifics of that. Look in verse 1 of Genesis 27. It came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison and make me savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. All right, a couple things, seasons where we need to defend or protect trust. Number one, defend trust when advancing in age. So trust as we age is not something that just comes automatically. It's something that we must continue to work at. Um, I hope that those, as we've been working through this marriage series, that those of us that are a little further along in this are not thinking. I hope the kids in the room, I hope the young couples are getting these commitment principles because, man, they they need this. They need this study, and I'm here just to kind of support the pastor and affirm these truths that they need to be applying. Um, I would say to you we need to be building and protecting trust more as we age, not less. Um, Do you catch yourself being more timid as you age, more questioning, more doubtful? I I tend to feel that pull in my heart, Um, at least the fleshly components of who I am. And so in relation to God, in relation to others, I have to work to defend trust as I age. Why is that? Let's be honest tonight. We've gotten burnt, right? And the longer you live, the more you get burnt. Not just by others, but even by your spouse, even their well-meaning attempts, uh, disappointments and setbacks and even full-blown betrayals. And, and so we have to defend trust as we age, and we see that not happening as Rebecca and Isaac move through life. Now, go back to 25 of Genesis and look at verse 23, because what Isaac is doing is more than meets the eye. Go back to chapter 25, and if you would please look at verse 23. Right at the birth of these boys, God speaks to them and gives them this preview of their role in his promises and in the future of their family. And the Lord said, Genesis 25, verse 23, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. So this wasn't something just Isaac was privy to. Rebecca knew it as well. Two nations are in thy womb, and the two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people. Notice this last phrase, and the elder shall serve the younger. So we see here Isaac knew of God's oracle or his, his declaration to Rebekah that the elder would serve the younger, and yet what is he doing? He's trying to thwart what God had declared. Um, And so we see this conniving, we see this manipulation that uh, he sets into motion, and Esau agrees to the plan, breaking the oath he had just made to Jacob earlier when he sold his birthright. Do you see the lack of trust in the family? The boys to one another, Isaac and Rebekah, all of this as age progresses. All right, can I give you three commitments to perpetually protect trust? These are just practical takeaways that I think will help you as you move through life that may help you build trust. And I just repeated these. The first one is a commitment to talk, talk, talk. Write it down three times. That'll help you remember. Um, Talk, talk, talk. The way that we perpetually protect trust is we talk, talk, talk. Um, I don't know where you get your hair cut or, you know, for you really slick people out there styled or I don't even know what you call it, you know, your beautician. That was my mom. I got to go to see my beautician, you know, and I think hair was involved, but there was a lot of talking involved. Um, Whoever does your hair, however you describe that and whoever that is, do you prefer to just have them cut your hair and style your hair or do you encourage them and facilitate lots of talking inner 
I love to watch guys get a haircut. You know, there's like this kind of awkward, just, you know, I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see the guy anyway. If I get a haircut, I cut my hair, and now and then I'll go out and get a cut. But anyway, I would prefer just, 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 just cut my hair, no talking involved. Do you know how much we do marriage that way? But let's just do marriage, talking. You know, what, what, since when is that a part of this? Uh, marriage is communicative in nature. It's, it's meant to happen. And one of the things I was struck by is I read several times Genesis 25 through Genesis 27. You see, you see Isaac and Rebekah talking to everyone except God, for the most part, and to each other. And that just struck me. Of all the things they weren't doing right, one of the most simple and obvious ones that they had let falter was they had stopped talking to one another. They may have talked at each other now and then, but you don't see conversation. You don't see them collaborating together. They're doing their own thing without communication between them. It's amazing to me, both in my own life, I see this trend and this tendency I'm fighting, and I see it in counseling and pastoring. Couples talk, but they don't talk to each other on more than just superficial things. Hey, what do we got going this week? And collaborating on schedules and, and that talking in meaningful ways. When this is over between me and Heidi, I hope we have more than just talking through grocery lists. Some of you have that memory, and now your spouse is not with us. It was the meaningful moments. It was the sometimes middle of the night or the, the heart uh, being expressed, the connection. Are we talking on that kind of level? Heart-disclosing, relationship-protecting kind of ways. And one author I was reading said this, Sinners living in silence do not produce unity, understanding, and love. That phrase, sinners living together in silence. There may be noise in the home, the TV's on and the radio's blaring and, and we even throw out words at each other, but it's not talk, talk, talk kind of talk. Uh, we need more of that as we move through life. All right, number two, listen, listen, listen. The second commitment we need is not just to talk, talk, talk. Number two, it is to listen, listen, listen. Uh, and let's look at a verse on that. Hold your place there in Genesis, James chapter 1. And I think this is the, the reason we have often anger and unresolved things in our marriage is because we're not listening. And God gives us clearly instruction on that. James chapter 1, you probably thought of these verses as well. Chapter 1, and if you would please, verse 19. Um, and as you're turning there, listening that we're talking about is not passive. Listening here is an active commitment. Um, and I find the number one thing that hinders me from listening is this. Listen to me. It is self-righteousness. You may say, that sounds super spiritual, but here's how that applies. So I'm listening to my wife tell me something, and I'm immediately thinking in my mind, no, I'm not wrong, and here's why I'm right, and here's why, or here's why you're wrong, and I'm not wrong, and I'm not listening as I should. I am self-righteous. Uh, excuses, shifting blame. Uh, we have to fight almost against ourselves to fully listen to our spouse. And these verses speak to that. Look at verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so often I think our anger is not because we have major issues between us as much as we are not listening. It's not the trigger. It's not the irritant. It's the fact that we are not attentively listening to one another. Are you being heard in your marriage? Is your spouse being heard in your marriage? I'm telling you, they're going to go somewhere to be heard. They're going to find some other surrogate to listen. Position yourself as the one that will listen to them. Um, and this may, I think I mentioned this at least once, I love to watch the facial expression when I say this. A counselor, mentor of mine advised this. I'll talk to a spouse who's ha or a couple who's having marital communication challenges, and I will say to the man especially, I will say the following thing. I'll say, when your wife, you give her permission to speak, when she gets done sharing her heart, opening up to you, then say to her the following question, and what else? So she's just bared her soul, and then you say to her, and what else? Is there anything else? And you mean it when you say it. And some of the guys just kind of like, they kind of stiffen up and pull away from the desk a little bit. Are we giving our spouse room to fully be heard? Are we trying to shut off the conversation or uh, stifle when they want to express 
uh, what is on their heart. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Talk, 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 listen, listen, listen. All right, and then thirdly, pray, pray, pray. The third commitment we need to protect trust in our marriage is to pray, pray, pray. Go back to Genesis 25. And this, again, I've never thought of this connection until our study for tonight, but it's amazing to me. Genesis 25, and if you would please, verse 21. All right, so back to our story, Genesis 25. And if you would please, verse number 21. As you're turning there, um, something new that uh, our friend Facebook has put out recently, I don't know that I, I use that facetiously, is they actually have a new uh, module they're offering that's prayer facilitating. So someone can post a prayer and then you can, instead of liking it, you can symbol that you're going to pray for that. And one of the big, the big um, questions about it is the privacy and security. I don't know that I want to bear my soul in, in that way. Is that secure? Is that private just in that group? Obviously, prayer and trust go together. I, I'm not going to tell you my deepest meaningful prayer requests and burdens if I don't trust you. So the fact that prayer and trust run on parallel tracks, that's something we can, we can seize that. That actually, if, if we're praying together, that's going to build trust. Um, just a question tonight, and, and I hope this, this brings this to bear. How often are you honestly, meaningfully praying with your spouse, with the other relationships that God has given you? Um, I think often the reason we are not is because there's a lack of Uh, full disclosure and trust. All right, look here in verse 21 of Genesis 25. And Isaac, I think this is the last time we see them aligned and pulling together, at least in a meaningful way. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. What's that? It's prayer. Because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Listen to me, earlier in their marriage, prayer was important. Prayer mattered. Isaac is praying for Rebekah, the same woman that in two chapters is going to deceive him in an unbelievable way with the same child that they had just prayed for together. The shift, the digression, the moving away from a commitment to prayer. They had let that part of their relationship and the intentionality of it fade. One author I was reading recently said this, O God of wonder, we studied about God this morning, enlarge my capacity to be amazed at what is amazing, and then this part struck me, and end my attraction to the insignificant. And the reason we're not pray, pray, praying together is because we have too much attraction and too much attention focused on that which is insignificant. And so we need to continue or build into our relationship prayer. In prayer, think of this. You thank God for what he has given you, including the spouse that he's given you. You reach out for God's help. It reminds you of your ongoing need for him. And then it's just beautiful to hear your spouse pray over you to say your name and to lift it up to the Lord. Help my wife this week. Help my husband this week with what they're facing. And man, what could that do in the, in the marriages that are in the room where it is not currently happening? Here would be a question to you. When is the last time, let's get practical, when is the last time with no one else around, your spouse has heard you call out to God your name? Like, is that regularly happening? And not in a superficial way, but they hear you praying over them. Um, God challenged me on that in my own walk with the Lord. When is the last time your spouse heard you call out their name in prayer uh, to uh, God himself? May we allow that to maintain and grow our trust with God one another. All right, let's end today in Genesis 27. Go down, if you will, now to verse number five. And this is where the story gets sad, and I hope that this will challenge you to not let trust go by the wayside, because this is where it leads. Uh, Verse number five of Genesis 27. So Isaac sets in motion what he's trying to do to counter God's, uh, his uh, pronouncement upon these boys and their destinies. Verse 5, and Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son. So she's somewhere in the corner of the tent or just outside the flap, and she, she hears this dialogue and watches Esau uh, jump out into the field. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son. That Again, do you see what I'm talking about? 
She doesn't talk to God. She doesn't talk to uh, Isaac. She speaks to her son Jacob, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Again, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch for me thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it into thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. All right, secondly, so we need to defend trust, first of all, when advancing in age, and we need to do so as Isaac did not. Number two, defend trust when deception seems justified. Defend trust when deception seems justified. So you have the opposite side of the coin, which is Rebecca saying, oh no, husband's going off the reservation. He's, he's out of step with God's will. And so she counters that by introducing additional distrustful behavior, this outright deception that she enlists her son in. Um, I don't know if you ever heard this before, but uh, just yesterday we had a family gathering with some of my, uh, the Snowed side of the family, my dad's side of the family, and we just hooted and hollered and laughed and just had a blast. And I have cousins in Atlanta. I don't know if you know any Southern folks or not, but they are not quiet and subdued. I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere in Carroll County, and I bet people from miles away were hearing my cousin just laughing her head off. She just, she's loud in a good way. I, I like that kind of loud. She just, she's a, just a joyful person to be around. But family just, family's crazy, right? Can we admit that? There's always a little bit of crazy in every family. Somebody said, if there's crazy, there is crazy in every family. If there's none in yours, you're probably the crazy, okay? Like if you can think of your family and you can't think of anybody crazy, it's you, okay? Um, and I think sometimes because of that crazy, we then respond in a way that's building distrust instead of trust. And we see Rebecca doing that here. Uh, Isaac is not doing as he should. And so she responds in like kind. Um, and so we see these notes given back in the previous verses of Isaac's weak eyesight and his advanced age. The stress is put on the fact he loves the food. He's, 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 he's in tune with his physical appetite, very acutely so. But he's out of step with a sense of where his family is headed, where God's trying to lead it. And he's using his boy to get what he wants out of the situation. So Rebecca feels justified uh, in her action. I would remind you again, two wrongs, as we often say, do not make a right, do they? And a lot of trust is, 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 is torn down because we honestly, practically believe that. They did wrong, and so because of that, I am justified to respond in like kind. Two wrongs don't make a right. That is, if you want to please God and if you want to build trust uh, in your marriage. All right, what are things we can do if the trust is already broken or we're struggling to to, to have trust in our family as we see happening in this family before us in the text. Let me give you four ways to restore broken trust. These, are, again, are just practical things that might be of help to you. Number one, admit your need. So if there's broken trust in your marriage or another relationship tonight, you have to be willing to admit your need. Um, I see this regularly where families care more about their reputation and maintaining that than dealing with the issues. Uh, we have to be willing to admit our need. Uh, stop with the, the profile. Stop with the pretenses. Admit where there's brokenness and rebuild trust by first admitting the need. Can you say to your spouse tonight or this week, can you own where you don't trust each other? Can you say that out loud? Can you hear that from their lips? Are you willing to have the courage and compassion to say that to them? Are you willing to admit the need? Not, it's your fault. We, it's a we thing. We are not as trusting as we should be. All right, number two, get outside help. So you admit your need. <laughs> need. Number two, you get outside help. Um, and I think that's one of the funnest things about what I do in counseling is I get to often help families and couples uh, with the Lord's help to rebuild trust. But you need to get outside help. Could be a, a friend, someone else in your life, um, a pastor here in our church or counselor, but getting outside help is the only way to really rebuild that trust. Um, why do we need outside help? Because you don't trust each other. <laughs> if you don't trust each other, together you're not going to be able to rebuild something. You need someone else there to help you come alongside and, and believe in it when you can't, hold you accountable when you can't, um, hold your spouse accountable when you can't, 
work through negotiations and discussions on things, and so outside help is invaluable. All right, thirdly, um, this expression we use, stick your neck out. So how do we rebuild broken trust? We admit our need, we get outside help. Thirdly, we stick our neck out. Um, we've got a shuttle bus parked right here to your left, my right, and a few months ago we started our bus route. We've been talking about it for a while, and um, like, let's, let's just do it. After VBS, guys, let's just start it and see what happens. Just, let's just stick our neck out and, and uh, see what happens. So we've had one boy coming for a while, Caden, right, John? Um, and then today we had a new little girl coming up. You saw her now. Her name is Tesla, which is just crazy, isn't it? I mean, I thought, I mean, what's up with weird names like Harley, Tesla, you know, what's the deal with that? I, I think she outmatches me. My boys thought that was funny. Her name's Tesla. To them, Tesla's like the car to own right now. Um, and uh, that's her name, and I think she's in fourth grade. But she came today on the bus for the first time, and she got saved this morning, asked Jesus to be her personal Savior. And that's just because we, I mean, it wasn't a huge risk on our part, but we just said, you know what, we got a bus sitting here. we got some guys who can drive it and some young teens and men and ladies that want to help us. Let's just let's go out and do something. Can I tell you tonight, often the reason that we're not advancing in these areas, especially on the trust front, is we're not willing to risk anything. Like, we've got to have everything perfect, and we've got to understand it all. To have trust, you have to sometimes just put yourself out there, and especially with your spouse, you have to initiate by just being vulnerable, admitting what bothers you, admitting where you feel like a failure, where you feel insecure, and the list goes on and on. Be willing to be the initiator. You, you can't restore a relationship without being vulnerable. You can't be vulnerable without taking risks. And what we do is we build these fences that we feel like keep us safe, when in reality what they do is they're keeping us from connecting with our spouse. Yeah, they're protecting me, but they're also pushing away and isolating from me the one that I most need to have uh, intimacy and trust with. And so at some point, one of you, both of you, have to be willing to get outside of that bunker, that place of safety, and move toward your husband or wife. Stick your neck out. All right, and then lastly, and I love this one, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember him. Rely upon Jesus. Let him into the marriage to help rebuild trust where it has been broken. You do know in this text tonight that this family had a promise, right? Uh, we read, if you go back to chapter 26, uh, God says to not just Abraham, but now to Isaac, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of the heaven and will give unto thy seed these countries. And in thy seed, here it is, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. What was that ultimately a promise of? Whom? Jesus. And so the end of your marriage and the means to your marriage being everything it should be is this person named Jesus. It is God's redemptive plan. It's the gospel. It's, it's what God can do through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so when you're working to rebuild trust, don't put your hope in your husband. Don't put your hope and trust in your wife. Put your hope and trust in Jesus. He is Lord. He is able. He is trustworthy. And as we both in a marriage, rely upon and trust in him, uh, he will rebuild and regrow where things have broken down. And so lean into Christ, rely upon Christ, let that be the source of rebuilding or restoring broken trust. And so you see here Rebecca and Jacob, they both think they're justified, they both think that they're, they're justified in their deception, but they're doing what they're doing without faith. Um, it's interesting just as a sobering truth, who won in this power struggle? Rebecca and Jacob, right? If we're looking at it just from a, a human standpoint. Do you know this? I, I knew this, but I'd forgotten this. When Jacob left, because of everything that went down in this story, Rebecca, listen to me, never saw Jacob again. Never. Because she took, instead of trusting God, she took this into her own hands. And I'm telling you, any relationship we have in this room that's represented this room, we will ruin it when we try to do it our way. Trust in God, trust in one another is vital for the sustaining relationships uh, that God has put in our life. Ultimately, Jacob and Rebecca, it wasn't they didn't trust each other. They didn't trust God. They didn't trust God to, to work in this situation and to do what was best. They tried to make it about them. It's never right to do wrong to do right, especially when it comes to trusting God and the spouse that he has handpicked for you. All right, let's end in Proverbs 31. Would you go there for a moment tonight? Appreciate your kind attention tonight. 
And this has obviously other applications than just marriage. I hope God will bring this to bear wherever needed tonight. But in Proverbs 31, we have the virtuous woman. You know, we always talk about the Proverbs 31 woman. There's also a Proverbs 31 man mentioned earlier in Proverbs 31, which is interesting. We don't have time to study that tonight. But we see here a reference to trust. Um, before we get to that, um, I mentioned I read a, a biography about Neil Armstrong this, this past, just a few weeks ago, finished it. Um, this is a picture of the Apollo 11 spacecraft um, that was a part of man going to the moon for the first time. And somebody just posted this picture the other day, and they said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, what Neil Armstrong said, is still making history. It's very possible that this spacecraft is still orbiting the moon, at least remnants of it. And here was the application that the man who uh, had this picture and posted it said this, Since with God history is his story, know that your faithfulness today resonates into eternity. So we're reading tonight about a story that happened a long time ago, and we're still reading about their distrust. Do you believe that the trust or distrust in your marriage is going to have a lasting impact? on the people you're related to and impacted by you, not just you individually, but uh, your marriage. There's nothing that will reverberate down through time and through your family tree and into eternity itself more than the distrust or the trust that's being built in and protected in your marriage. All right, look here in Proverbs 31. And notice in verse number 10, he says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Then verse 11, notice what he leads with. The heart of her husband does safely what? Trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. He's, he's satisfied. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. He goes on to list all the things that she is involved in. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates where he sitteth among the elders of the land. Uh, go down, if you will, to verse number 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, let her own works praise her in the gates. And so you have all this description of the virtuous woman. But notice it begins with, in verse number 11, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Um, if I were to ask you this question tonight as we finish, which would you prefer to have your spouse say of you? I love you or I trust you? Like if you had to pick, which of those two would be option one on the list? And before you answer that question or if you already have in your mind, this thought that I, I think I agree with as I've chewed on it more in my own heart, George McDonough was once quoted as saying this, to be trusted is, the, is a greater compliment than to be loved. Love is, we can at least say it, right? But to love someone or to trust someone. And I think we talk a lot about we got to love each other, right? We need to love each other. I think maybe at least trust needs to be moved further up in the pecking order. Is my marriage, if it rests upon trust, how good of a marriage do I have? Do you trust your spouse? Does your, your spouse trust you? It's something we have to build, and it's something we have to protect. Here's my question to you. Will you and your spouse finally say, we will work together every day to build a sturdy bond of trust? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word tonight.